in Pansy Chapel, we, we build a, a series of sermons all either on a topic or on a book of the Bible, and we kind of work our way through something over a number of Sundays. But today is not like that. Today is just, I feel it's like a word from the Lord for today. And so it's an appropriate title. And I want you to understand that. And I'm also going to break a couple of uh, rules. I, <laughs> I was educated on Facebook this week that mega churches have some, uh, some sins, as it were, which I'm going to commit right now, okay? And <laughs> I don't know that anybody's calling Pansy Chapel a mega church, but we serve a mega God, amen? So here are the rules I'm going to break. I'm going to tell you what the sermon is all about this morning, and I'm going to get you to repeat, repeat the points. Apparently, that's a mega church sin, okay? It's, it's the, with the mega church pastor. He, he's manipulating the people, okay? So be prepared to be manipulated. <laughs> and then I'm even going to encourage you that if you agree with something that's said, particularly if it's something that you know is truth, I would encourage you to say amen at the end of that. And sometimes I might even coax it out of you by saying it like a question. Amen? And you might say, Amen! That's another trick, apparently, from mega pastors. Church pastors of mega churches. Anyway, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to boldly break those, okay? Here's what this, this word that I feel like is from the Lord for us today, for our church, for every person who's here today. I don't know your heart, but this is what I feel like the Lord is saying. He's, it's going to be a three-part, there's going to be three parts to this word, as it were, message, whatever you want to call it, sermon. The first part is that God delights, okay? Two words, God delights. If you were taking notes, that would be number one. Like just number one, God delights. Number two would be, you already are. That's number two, you already are. Number three is, now just more and more. Now, now just more and more. However many words that is, five. Okay, so three, what's the first part? God delights. Second part? You already are. Third part, now just more and more. Okay, we're going to try it one more time, okay? We're going to be like the Pansy Chapel Mega Church. <laughs> okay, first one is God delights. Second one is you already are. Third one is now just more and more, okay? So before you, uh, let's just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, join me in prayer for a moment. Lord, I would ask you, Jesus, that your word this morning would not be restricted by my pathetic vocabulary, that it would not be restricted by the English language, but that it would, you would speak, Holy Spirit, to each person's heart here this morning in a way that is only possible that you do it. And I ask, Lord, that you would speak to each individual heart through these words that are said, but it would be you speaking unrestricted by me. Jesus, we just ask you to come and do that this morning. Your presence is already thick in this place. We, we desire more, Lord. Come and continue to speak, Lord. Amen. Now I want to I establish who God is. Before you think, what were the three parts again? God delights. You already are. Now just more and more. Before... Just to establish, in case you're wondering if I'm going off the deep end here, I want to establish just, oh man, I was going to say who God is, but 
shoot, we could be here for a year trying to understand who God is, but just really, really briefly, God is holy, He is just, He is pure, He's perfect, He's, with, he's righteous, He's without sin. He's holy. Amen. <laughs> I didn't even have to coax it out of you. Look at that. And do you know why he tells us to be holy? Because he's holy. Interesting. Okay, so God is holy. His attitudes and his actions and everything that he has ever thought or done or will do and even his character is perfect. And you know what Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 11? He says these kind of daunting words. He says, aim for perfection. So if you, he says, aim for perfection. So if you were, we're just trying to understand who God is and what we should be doing as Christians here. He says, aim for perfection. If you were playing darts or throwing an axe or a knife or a ninja star or whatever you're throwing at a bullseye, aim for the bullseye. Because if you aim small, you'll miss small. That's the principle. He says, aim for perfection. It's actually the mandate for Christianity. Why? It's because who God is. And so we're supposed to aim for that. Now, here's the thing. Do you think God expects that we're going to get bullseye after bullseye after bullseye? Imagine that you're just throwing darts for the rest of your life. You think you're going to be hitting bullseyes for the next 80 years? No, you won't. Sometimes, because we know that, we have the wrong impression of God. And I'm going to play that out a little bit here. I'll give you an example. Sometimes we think God is a little bit like, I'm going to just say a, a, a bad father, okay? Sometimes we think God might be like the father who has a son or a daughter in school and the father really wants their kid to do well and, and, and wants their kids to get good grades. And the kid comes home and says, I got 75% of my test, dad. And the dad is like, seriously? That's it? Go to your room and keep studying. And the next time the kid comes home from school, dad, I got 85% of my test. That's pathetic. That's all you can do. I know you can do better. That is not good enough. And then maybe one day the kid gets 100. Finally. And what does the kid feel like? It's just never good enough. That's not how God is. Do you know that? <laughs> that kid in that moment, in that picture, you know what that kid feels like? That kid is probably, if they could put words to what they're feeling in that moment when they're never good enough, they might want their dad to think, Dad! Don't you realize I mowed the lawn yesterday? I baked a batch of cookies last week. I hug my mom every day. And all you care about is whether or not I get 80% or whatever, 100% on my test, and it's never good enough. The kid is crying, crying on the inside. And he's thinking, Dad, I actually love you, and I'm trying to obey you. How is that not good enough? And the kid might be thinking on the inside, isn't it good enough just that I'm your kid? Couldn't you just love me for that? 
What I'm telling you this morning is that God is not that bad father. God expects us to aim for perfection, but he knows we're not going to make that throw after throw after throw after throw. If we get 100% on a test, he's going to put his arm around us and go, that is fantastic. I love it. But he's not somehow going to expect that you're always going to get 100%. He actually knows that. It's not all that he cares about. He might say to his son or daughter, I love it when you do your best to obey me. I love that. He might say, I love it when you have a desire to learn from your mistakes. I just love that attitude. He might say, son, I love it when you trust me. He might say to his daughter, daughter, I love you because you're my kid. The truth is that even though we aim for perfection, and as we should be, we're not going to hit it every time. And even in that state of being less than perfect, God delights in his kids. What's the first point? God delights. Help me build the definition for the word delights. What does it mean to delight in something? Find joy in it, good. Take pleasure. That's almost like right out of the dictionary. Great pleasure, take pleasure, find joy in it. That's exactly it. Anybody else, I want to add to that. What does it mean to take delight in something? Say again. Uh, proud of you? Yeah, absolutely. Something that really... So let me give you an example. Let's say I'm working, I'm working outside and it's really hot out, hot out and I'm sweating and I'm dirty and I'm grimy and it's been a couple hours already and all of a sudden somebody comes from... They drove through Tim Hortons and they show up with an ice cap. And suppose you're like me and you appreciate that. I would actually say I would delight in that in that moment. You with me? I would take great pleasure in that cold, refreshing ice cap, or if you want to fill in the blank, whatever, a cold drink, whatever it is, but you take delight in that. What is happening in that moment? I want you to think about it. What's happening? You're excited, and what's, what, what is that little... That's just a small example, but what's that doing to you? It's refreshing. It's going to give you a little boost of encouragement. At the end of the day, you might even go tell somebody, you know what made my day today? Somebody brought me a cold drink. Like, seriously, that's almost nothing. But, but it, it made your day because it gave you a little boost of encouragement, far more than just the drink itself. But there's a thought behind it. There's an, oh, man, there's anticipation. There's delight in that. Do you know that we can do that for God? Do you know that you and I, in our imperfect state, can do that for the Lord? We can put a smile on His face. That is actually an amazing truth. So if you believe that that was true, how would you know? This is not a hard question. You'd have to go to the Bible and, and read to see if that's actually what the Bible says. 
So here's what we're going to do. We are going to read the Bible. Amen. Here we go. Amen? Nice. Amen. Psalm 147, we're going to start there. And what we're going to do, actually, we're going to build... Forgive me this, this morning, okay? But what we're going to do here, on the top half, we're going to build a bit of a list. And on the bottom half, we're going to be reading some scriptures. Psalm 147 says, His pleasure is not in the strength of a horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. He doesn't care about the size of your muscles. He doesn't care about the size of your army. He is not impressed with how fast your plane is, how big your ship is, or, or how big your house is. You know where his delight is? The Lord delights, you guys read the yellow, the Lord delights in those who fear him and who put their hope in his unfailing love. He delights in that. And so we'll just add that to our list. God delights in those who fear him and put their hope in him. What about Proverbs 11.20? The Lord detests those whose hearts are perverse, but he delights in those whose ways are blameless. And so you could say, hey, isn't that the guy who got 100%? Sure, the Lord loves it. He delights in that. Just like a good father says to his son, son, I love it that you just nailed that test. That's fantastic. And so the Lord delights in those who are blameless. Proverbs 12, 22. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. What does it mean to be trustworthy? Say again. Reliable. Reliable. Credible. Somebody who said they're going to do something and then they do it. That's trustworthy. The Lord delights in people who do that. That actually puts a smile on his face. 1 Samuel 15.22 gives us another clue of what else the Lord might delight in. Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To... To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. The Lord delights in obedience. Agree? Amen. Psalm 51 says this, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. And I want to point something out. Verse 19 in that same chapter says that the Lord delights in sacrifice. It actually uses exactly that word, delights in sacrifice. But here he's saying, you do not delight in sacrifice. So what's he saying? Yeah, he's actually bringing out the fact that it's your heart attitude when you bring the sacrifice that the Lord really delights in. That's what he's looking for. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. And David did bring those sacrifices. He says, you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are, so now he's defining what would delight the Lord, a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise those things. And just to clarify, a broken spirit, does that mean like God just loves it when he can crush you like a worm? Does that deli- is that what he's saying he delights in? No, what's he saying? He's looking for, yeah, I think I would paraphrase it as paraphrase it as people who are humble and teachable, a little bit like a horse who is broken. 
The horse that's broken hasn't been crushed into a pile of dust. The horse that's broken just represents a horse that has a desire to learn and is submissive to its trainer. That horse doesn't have a horrible life after that. That that horse has an exceptional life after that. And God wants us to just be like that. And when we are, he takes delight in that. That actually puts a smile on his face. Now let me ask you a question. When you look at the things that we've said God delights in so far, what do you notice about all those things? Say again. The characteristics of God, true. All of those are about who? Yeah, they all reflect Him, but all of those are about us, and we are people, His people. We're Christians. All of those things that God delights in are people. And people's actions and attitudes and behaviors, that's an incredible thing. Psalm 149 actually sums that up. The Lord takes delight in His people. Do you just, I just stop and think about that for a second. God who made the entire universe and beyond, if whatever that is, but if we just think about the universe, God who put the stars in place in the Milky Way, but then just didn't just stop there. He made many more galaxies like the Milky Way, but different sizes and shapes and colors and all. He, did, he made all that, and then right down to the atoms with the nucleus and the protons and the electrons and all this kind of stuff. He made all that, and out of all that stuff, and if you go into like the... Um, into the deep oceans, and we're constantly finding new creatures, and they're fascinating. All of all these animals and different things and creatures and creation all over the world, guess who God delights in? People. That's actually the astounding truth. Even more astounding than that is that if... Let me ask you this question. Out of all the people, the heroes of the Bible, as it were, name one other than Jesus who is perfect. None. Not a single one. And yet it says the Lord delights in his people. That's an amazing fact. Let's keep reading. Proverbs 15, verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. We don't have to worry about irritating God with many prayers. Those many prayers of his people are his delight. Puts a smile on his face that makes his day when his people pray. Jeremiah 9.23, look at this. It says, I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I Delight, declares the Lord. When you do a kind deed, when I think about kind deeds, I think like little kids who are three years old or six years old or something like that, and they they do something like in a moment where they might usually hoard their toys, they say, actually, why don't you come and play with me? That act of kindness the Lord looks on that and he says, that I delight in. When somebody stands up for what's right, 
and does, stands up for justice, not just for themselves, but for other people, the Lord loves that. It actually puts a smile on his face when somebody stands up for what is right because it's a reflection of the Lord. When people live in, with, in righteousness, the, that puts a smile on the Lord's face. He delights in that. Let me read you another verse out of Isaiah 42. This is pretty neat. He says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. The Lord delights in him. Who is that? Who's him? Jesus. It is Jesus. In fact, if you look in your, in your Bible, in Matthew 12, verse 18, which is in the New Testament, he quotes exactly that verse from Isaiah and says, this is actually Jesus. And the Lord delights in Jesus. He delights in what Jesus has done, what he represents, communicates, and accomplished. Listen, it is always good for us to delight in the same things that the Lord delights in. Amen? Because we know that if we delight in the things that God delights in, we're actually aligned with Him. And if the Lord, God, delights in what Jesus did, and we delight in what Jesus did, we're lined up with we're lined up with what God delights in. You with me? That actually when we delight in Jesus, it puts a smile on God's face as it were. Amen? So, based on Scripture, here's what we know. God delights in those who fear Him, who put their hope in Him, who are blameless, who are trustworthy, are obedient, are humble and teachable. He delights in His people. He delights in the prayers of His kids, in kindness and justice and righteousness and he delights in Jesus. That's the first part. What's the second part? You already are. So I want to clarify something here. I am not the judge, okay? You guys are going to stand, every Christian is going to stand before Jesus to give account. And he knows your heart. He will flush out the motives for everything you have ever said or done. Okay? I'm not going to do that. But from my perspective... When I look over the body here in Pansy Chapel, I can see some patterns of behavior. Paul could actually see the same thing when he looked at the churches, when he wrote the letters. He wasn't the judge. He didn't know their hearts. But he complimented them on some of their patterns of behavior. And I can see the same thing here. Let's start with this. Those who fear him. Do you think that I can see in Pansy Chapel people who fear the Lord? You know what, if you want to know what a definition, uh, if you want to have a, a good visual understanding of what it means to fear the Lord, all you need to write down is Exodus 20, verse 20. 2020, vision, for what it means to fear the Lord. In Exodus 20, verse 20, Moses tells the people, do not be, they're standing at the bottom of Mount Sinai and terrified at what they see and hear happening on the mountain. They recognize it's God. 
And in Exodus 20:20, he tells the people, do not be afraid. God is come to test you. Now let the fear of the Lord keep you from sinning. It's nicely wrapped up in one verse because the fear of the Lord prevents you from sinning. When you have an understanding of who God is and you're gripped with the reality how small you are in comparison to God, that fear of the Lord actually will stop you from sinning because you're not interested in going there. And I see that in this church. I'll give you one small example. I know for a fact that there are going to be people here today, maybe lots, who are going to take their phone or their tablet or their TV or computer or whatever it is, and they are going to intentionally not watch certain things or certain shows because they have a fear of the Lord. Agreed? That is one small example, but I know that that's going to happen today in this group of people. So I know that we already, we already are fearing the Lord. To some degree, at least, I know we are. The Lord delights in people who hope in Him. You know what that means, to hope in the Lord? To hope in His unfailing love? I'll give you, here's just one small example, but if you're going through a tough trial in your life that isn't going away, it could be a sickness that you are in, or a sickness that someone you really love is going through, and it's ongoing, and even in the midst of the ongoingness, you're clinging to Jesus and saying, Lord Jesus, I am going to trust you this entire time. That's what it means to hope in the Lord. And I can, man, I got, I got to keep myself from pointing fingers because I can see faces all over this congregation who are living that out. I see it right here. We're already doing this to some degree. Those whose walk is blameless. Whoo! <laughs> well, uh. <laughs> yeah, raise your hand if you're blameless. I dare you. Yeah, no Job's in here. His Job is called blameless. But you know what? Here's the deal. I see people in our congregation who used to be headed in a path going this way, and have taken a 180-degree turn, and they're going this way. They are now on the path of blamelessness. I get it. We might be stumbling around a little bit, okay? But we're on that path, and I see it in this church. Again, I, man, I look at faces. I'm trying hard not to look at anybody, okay? Because I see, when I look over at you guys, I see people who are exactly representations of that. We are already doing that. Man, it's good. Those who are trustworthy. There are many people in this congregation, I can see you even here right now, whom I would happily have you in charge of all of my possessions, knowing that if I asked you to keep them for me, you would keep them for me. You're trustworthy. But you know who I really think of when I think of people who are trustworthy? Moms and dads who make sacrifices to train their kids and raise a family. Do you know that God is trusting you to raise His kids? And in that moment when you intentionally train them to understand who Jesus is, He is trusting you with that, and that makes, gives Him delight. Amen? 
And I see that in our congregation. Parents who are intentional about that, trustworthy. God delights in those who obey Him. I see people in our I see people in this congregation who take small steps of obedience almost daily or weekly. It might have to do with small things. It might have to do with what you do, your, your work in, in the church. It might have to do with whether or not you sold your house or whether you did sold your house. You, sell, you sold your house and you obeyed or you didn't sell your house and you obeyed or, or you moved to a different job or whatever it is. But there's steps of obedience and small steps that I see all over the congregation. And some people have taken big steps of obedience that are actually going to take not just a day or a week to fulfill, but they're going to take a lifetime to walk out. And I see those things in Pansy Chapel. We already are doing that to some extent, and the Lord delights in obedience. He delights in those who have a humble, teachable heart. Do you think we see any of that in Pansy Chapel? I'll give you one small example. On May 26, Kevin Friesen was preaching. And he talked about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. And at the end of that sermon, he gave an invitation for anybody who was humble enough, teachable enough, to just come forward and ask for more of the Holy Spirit. He didn't even have to have all the answers. All you had to be was a little hungry, a little humble and teachable. And guess what? The whole place here was full in the front, even spilling into the aisles of people coming forward. That's one small example. But there are people in this congregation who are humble and teachable. We already are. And that heart attitude gives the Lord delight. Amen? Thank you, Lord. His people. There's people in this congregation that I can see here today who take time to build up other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Sunday school teachers who take time invested and they invest it into their classes. Youth leaders who take tons of time and energy and maybe a few scars to prove it and they, and they build up the kids in their youth groups. There's worship teams that give up time during the week to build up for what purpose? To give God glory, but to lead us in giving Him glory. There's an aspect of that that is for you and me. They're leading us. God delights in that because we're delighting in His, we're, we're delighting in His people with Him. There's people that give up a lot of time and effort and even money to go build houses in Mexico. And I see that in this church. God delights in that. We're building his people. There's people, many people in this church who do exactly this. They are helping God's people, but we never even see it. Or maybe only a few people see it. There's people in this congregation who open their doors to people that would have no other place to go except that you open your, their, your doors to them. And you're helping his people. The Lord delights in that. Even if not everybody sees it. The prayers of his kids. In this church, there's emails that go out from time to time. Prayer requests. I love that. 
I love it when I get some responses. Praying, will pray, on it, that kind of stuff. Some people have even started saying prayed, which means they already did pray. They didn't just say it. They're not just saying a nice thing. They actually stopped, took time, asked the Lord how he wants them to pray, and then they prayed about it. And then emailed and said prayed. This is happening already in this church. And if you think about prayer evenings like we're having tonight, one of my favorite things is when there's a handful of people in groups of two or three scattered throughout this sanctuary and, and praying over each other. What's concerning you? How can I pray for you? And then if you kind of, this is where I feel really lucky, really blessed would be a better word. <laughs> God's given me a gift and it's a blessing and I get to sometimes just look over the whole group and I hear this murmur of prayer. What do you think God thinks about that? He delights in it. It makes him happy. Kindness and justice and righteousness. I already mentioned kids, their siblings. Every act of kindness like that, the Lord delights in. And I, see, I see that in our congregation. On occasion, I see it in my kids. <laughs> and I see it in adults too, in the congregation. Acts of kindness, when it doesn't really make sense, but out of reverence for the Lord, there's just acts of kindness. I see people in this congregation who stick their necks out for what's right. Maybe you sit on a council or on a school board. Maybe at work you've taken a stance for what's right and it wasn't popular, but you did it. God loves that, takes delight in that. Maybe, maybe you're in training right here in Pansy Chapel. Maybe you attend Sunday school and you learn and you're in training. What are you doing? You're training to live righteously. You're in training. Maybe you're in a Sunday school class. Maybe you're in a youth group and you're getting trained like that. Maybe you attend a Bible study and you're getting trained. Maybe you attend a conquer group or you're attending D19 and you're getting trained. You're learning to live in righteousness and you've applied those things to your life and God delights in that. It's already, we're already doing it. And delighting in Jesus. Do you think that we see anybody delighting in Jesus in this church? What a miserable, wretched bunch we would be if that wasn't happening. Right? But think about this for a second. Think about the sharing Sunday that we had just a few weeks ago. Did anybody, did anybody spontaneously just come up here and delight in Jesus? Yes! Person after person, I think we had 22 or something, 23. Awesome morning. Think about baptism morning. I think we had another six people come up here and publicly declare that they want to take a stand for Jesus. What are we doing? We're delighting in Jesus. Think about the people that are evangelizing and telling other people during the week, maybe handing out a Bible or planting a seed and, and, and spurring them on to lead them in the direction of Jesus. What are we doing? We're delighting in Jesus. There's people in this congregation who, who get up early just to spend time with Him. There's moms and dads who have made sacrifices of their time and money and maybe even of the things that they would rather be doing just to spend time with their family and Jesus. There's people in this congregation who teach others about Jesus, who read stories about Him, who are memorizing His words. 
and learning to listen to his voice because we are already delighting in Jesus to some extent. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> That's the name, Ed, right? People in the mega church would have just heartily said amen, but whatever. <sighs> I guess I'll just have to let that go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What did you notice as we went through that list and I gave you scriptures that said that God delights in all these things and in those kinds of people and those kinds of actions and attitudes and behaviors, what did you notice about all those scriptures? Old Testament. All of those scriptures were from the Old Testament. If you do a word study on this, the word delight actually shows up, and I almost use all of it, but it shows up a lot in the Old Testament. That same pattern of wording changes a little bit in the New Testament. So what, God doesn't delight in his people in the New Testament? Here's what we're going to do. What's the third part of the sermon? More and more. Now we're going to move to the New Testament, and we're going, to gray out the, we're going to gray out that same paragraph. And as we go through some New Testament scriptures, just consider, we're going to, when, it, when, it, when the New Testament is going to refer to those things, then we'll just highlight them in blue so that we can all follow along. But now we're going to jump into the New Testament, and we're going to, we're going to find a, a pattern of thinking, okay? Let's start with Philippians 1, verse 9 to 11. And this is my prayer, that your... Love may abound more and more. I want to stop for a second. Paul's saying, this is my prayer, that your love, do they already have it? Yes, they already have it. Are they already doing it? Yes. Love's an action, a verb, right? They're, they're already doing it, but he says, my prayer is that your love, which you already have, might abound. What's the word? More and more. And then here's the result, in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless, which is words on the top. Those are word for word out of the Old Testament. For the day of, uh, for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of what? Righteousness, another one, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When your love, and I also highlighted those who fear him, because according to Philippians 1, 9 to 11, when, when the love that you already have, which is God's love, which we are reciprocating back to the Lord, but also to other people, when that abounds in us, overflows in us more and more, it actually, uh, go back to verse 11, this, the next screen. It actually is building in us righteous living. Does it make sense? That love increasing in us gives us righteous living, and that's why I say it's talking actually about those who fear Him. Because those who fear God, that's exactly what happens. They have an understanding of who God is, and it inspires them to not sin, which is righteous living. And so the New Testament is saying, do that, you already are, now just do it more and more. Keep on doing that. 1 Thessalonians 4. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to... 
live in order to please God as in fact you are living. They're already doing it just like we are already doing it. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. We're talking about righteous living would certainly include the prayers of his kids, would certainly include kindness, would certainly include justice. That would include living in order to please God. That's not a stretch. When you think about the things that we learned in that Prayer Changes Everything little series we did a couple, about a month ago, when you look at Luke 11 and Luke 18, how there's those four different parts in Luke 11 that all explain how Jesus just wants us to pray. He wants to actually for us to be bold. That's actually just part of living to please God. And he says, do that more and more. Let's look at Hebrews 6.10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped. So they already did that. His people and continue to help them. They already helped his people. Now he says, just continue. Let's look at the next verse. First, uh, First Thessalonians 4.10. In fact, you do, all, uh, you do love all of God's family. We're talking about his people throughout Macedonia in this case. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. You already are. Just keep that up. Do that more and more. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so because your faith is growing did they already have faith? Did they already have faith? Yes, they did. They had already put their hope in Him. He was already their Lord and Savior. But their faith was growing, and He is encouraging that it would grow more and more, even more. You are already hoping in the Lord. Now do that more and more. Ephesians 3 says this, I pray that you, being rooted, in other words, they already are, rooted and established in love, I'm praying that you may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you think that people who are filled to the measure of the fullness of God are going to be trustworthy? Yes. Are they going to be obedient? Are they going to be humble? Are they going to be teachable? Yes, they will. And in addition to that, he says, I pray that you will be able to grasp. He's not talking to non-Christians here. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. And he's talking to Christians, and he's saying to them, I pray that you will be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep. That is beyond 3D, because he's repeating himself already. He's like, it's more than you can even describe with words. The love of Christ. And if you were able to grasp that, do you think that you would delight in Jesus? 
Amen? If you could, even though Jesus is already your Lord and Savior, if the Lord would allow you to grasp His love, do you think you could delight in Jesus just like the Father does? In that moment, I will tell you this, in that moment, if you ever have an opportunity to understand how much Jesus loves you, it is not hard to worship Jesus. Amen? Because there's, you can delight in Him. God is not a bad father who is constantly disgusted with our 99%. He expects us to aim for perfection, but in the meantime, he delights in his kids. He delights in us. He delights in the things that we're already doing, and I see them scattered throughout our congregation, and even in our community. In other churches, I see it too. He delights in those things. And what's the challenge? Just do that more and more. You're not done. You're not tapped out. There's more. Join with me in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much that you are a gracious God. I thank you for your love, Lord. Lord, I don't think we can even possibly understand the vastness of your love. God, that you would take delight in people at all is astounding. That already tells us a lot about who you are. Jesus, if we have been encouraged or challenged this morning by any part of this word of how you delight in these thoughts and attitudes and actions that we can participate in, could you just encourage us to do that more and more and not give up. Even all the more as we see the day of your second coming returning and coming close. It's near. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.